Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, coming to you live from the heartland of America. And today's topic is all about culture and the role of leadership. Now, before we get started, just a reminder during the commercial breaks, feel free to go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And if you want to contact me, you can email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. I am on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And I'm on this platform. You can go to voiceamerica.com slash empowerment and find me under there. Also, this is a live show. If you have a comment or a question, we welcome your input. So please feel free to dial in. And today, the show is called Leaders are the Regulators of Culture. And joining me joining me today is Christy Lindor. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a management consultant that advises global organizations on how to create and sustain high-performing, inclusive workplace cultures in a digital world where transformation their business in times of disruptive change. She's an author of the award-winning uh, Amazon bestseller, The Me See Muse, 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants, and it was published recently in February of this year. She's also a regular Forbes contributor, and Christy has been mentioned in dozens of publications on a wide variety of human capital topics. And recently, she did a TED Talk in Spain on this very topic of culture. So without further ado, welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership, Christy. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, it's awesome to have you here because culture is a huge thing that impacts every organization, so I can't wait to dive into this. Now, I did say a lot of things about you as I introduced you today to the show, but that's not all. So why don't you tell us a bit about your leadership journey and why culture is so important to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and again, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I feel like I can talk about culture all day long because it's such a passionate, um, passionate topic for me. But I guess, you know, a couple of thoughts when I think about my leadership journey. I, I knew earlier in my career, Matt, that when I was going to go into the workplace, I was going to really bring two things, right? It was going to be my passion and my work ethic. And, when you have passion, you know, and a strong work ethic, you tend to really kind of give it, give everything your, your all, right? You go all in, mm-hmm. um, in everything that you do. And, and what that also means, you know, when you work with passion and, and have a strong work ethic, um, it also means that you have and expect, you know, higher standards from your work environment. And for me, uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't realize this earlier on, but over time it became kind of, you know, you know, inherently clear that culture was going to always be an underlying priority for my for my career. So, you know, as you just kind of opened up and mentioned, you know, for me as a consultant, having spent my entire career uh, working at some of the largest consulting um, professional services organizations, I've really had the privilege, Matt, to to really be part of. Um, I've, I've stood down and did the math one day. I've been part of over eighty different cultures. 
and subcultures um, across 18 different industries in both the public and private sector over the span of a 15-year, you know, 15-year career. And, you know, when I think about that in my journey, what began percolating over the years in my mind, having worked with so many amazing people, doing so many great things, I, I really, really, I, I used to always, um, for some reason, still get shocked um, when, when great people leave you know, or a great colleague, a great client. And, you know, while my, you know, my, while a lot of people say the first reaction of a person leaving a company is about having a bad boss, um, well, yes, that, that does tend to be, you know, one, of the, one, one reason. But I started to find, find out, Matt, that over time, people were, were leaving, especially great people, they were leaving for deeper reasons than just bad bosses. Um, and so I decided to explore that further. And the more kind of clarity I gained in my personal um, career and professionally, the more I realized how important culture is. Um, so that kind of was kind of led me on a path of, of, you know, some articles I wrote and then ultimately in my TED Talk and, and why for me culture is such kind of the forefront reason for everything around the work that I do. And that speaks to that passion and drive you were speaking or talking about earlier that when it's there, it just lights a fire under you. And you really have done so many great things with your your interest and your curiosity about this. So let's talk about culture. How do you define culture? Yeah, it, culture is one of those things that it, it, you can't see it, right? But you feel it. You know, when you, when you walk into an organization or any place, right? When you, when your place is a buzz and everyone is excited and, um, you know, people are working together really well, like you feel that. It, it's, it's an intangible, um, yet priceless entity, right? But mm-hmm. when you also work in a place where it's like dead, <laughs> the energy's dead, you feel exhausted, you're, you're like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. That's culture too. Um, and so I usually like to use the word ecosystem when I think about a culture because a culture is bigger than just like the people, it's also what do the people stand for? You know, what are their values? Um, what are the written or unwritten rules of how people work together? Um, what are the rules of behavior? How do people get rewarded? Um, so it's kind of like all those different things combined. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a mashup of an ecosystem. Um, whether people are bought in or not, you know, that is what's comprised of it. And, uh, you know, culture is set. By, at the top, right? It's set by the leadership and, and harnessed at the leadership level. Um, but it, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's been interesting, Matt, over the years to see now leaders and organizations really taking their culture seriously. And you call them, you say leaders are the regulators of culture. Talk more about that. Yeah. So in my, my TED Talk, what I, I wanted to do in realizing how organic and fluid and dynamic a culture is and how fragile it is, you know, I thought, I thought about, you know, what is, you know, what, what is something that's comparable? Because I think sometimes when you, you, you know, if you talk to, you know, certain people, culture is just an elusive topic. Like, what does that really mean? So I said, you know, as I thought about it, I'm like, you know, but, you know, culture is actually no different than our body, the human body. Uh, and, you know, if I think about kind of components of the human body, um, we have a number of self-regulating systems. So the fact that, you know, we have messages that are sent from our brain, throughout our body, uh, for functioning, blood is circulating, like things are just happening um, because it's self-regulated. If we think about an organization, 
leaders are those self-regulators, right? At the, you know, from the top, from that micro level all the way down into kind of the, you know, the, the, the supervisory, you know, frontline roles. Uh, and so to me, just like the body, right? You know, you have to have leaders setting the tone at the top um, for better or worse. And whether they choose to deliberately do that or not, they, you know, they are the regulators. Um, and I think it's making sure that leaders understand their role and ensuring that they, you know, are more t- intentional in, in how they either help or hurt the culture. So would you say, I think all of us would agree that leaders very much are their they have to set strategy, right? That's that's the thing for sure. That's why they're hired because they can see at a macro level the business opportunities, thinking about strategically where to take the organization. And what I hear you saying is, yes, they have to do that, but they need to really pay attention to culture as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that should be front and center, especially, in, you know, in this, this day. that You know, it, we're kind of living in the era of disruption where – Every organization really doesn't know where its its next competitor is. They may have uh, certain kind of staple competitors today, but as we can see with 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 organizations like Google or Amazon, that's you know the rules are being rewritten. So absolutely, that reminds me of an organization, an iconic, an American iconic retail chain that's been around for a long time, and when we Watch the news. It's almost quarterly. We see them still losing market share. Their their profit, profits are falling. In fact, not even profitable. And what what one can assume or think about is there seems to be a mismatch there where the the leadership needs to be more aggressive, if you will, and knowing the culture itself is a nice culture. And what I mean by nice is there's a hesitancy to hold each other accountable. And so there's an example right there of there's a drive that that organization needs to change to meet and compete with their competitors, but the culture is not matching it. Right, right, absolutely. I would agree. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that. So, so I want to I want to I want to pause. You talked about nice. I want to I want to talk about nice culture because I think sometimes there's a misconception that um, if 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 an if an an air you know a, a culture is nice, that means that it also is effective, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not always true. Those two don't are are not always mutually exclusive. So I think you know yes, a culture um, can you know be positive and energizing, but it also has to be effective, right? And it ha- also has to be um, able to to be agile and, and be able to adapt to to different conditions in the marketplace. You know, I was recently reading an article, a Harvard Business Review article, and they use this phrase, you need to know what your cultural target is. And and I think this speaks to exactly what you're just talking about right there. I, de- I definitely would agree with that. Um, having the cultural target, and I think, you know, part of it, you know, when I think about where leaders can sometimes fall short when it comes to kind of culture is not really being clear on what the end goal is. And when I say the end goal, it's not just, okay, we've got to make X millions of dollars over the next two quarters, right? What's the long game of that organization? I mean, you know, what, and, and making sure that decisions are made on the, in, on the entirety 
of goals, not just, okay, here's what I need to do over the next year. Um, I think it's being able to balance both. Uh, and, and sometimes decisions are made based on partial information or based on partial goals. Uh, and I think that's where sometimes, you know, cultures are compromised. Makes a lot of sense. And then we start seeing symptomatic behaviors and things within the organization that perhaps are not necessarily healthy. And what yeah. Do, yeah, and I think, you know, something else that I have seen or observed is that organizations who don't necessarily take culture as seriously as what you're talking about often will relegate it to to the HR function and hand it off to them. And that's when problems start to, you really see the problems. You know, and that's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, as someone who, you know, I do a lot of work with HR uh, or, you know, the HR function of, of organizations, it, it is, you, you know, you're, you're so spot on, Matt, about that. I think I mentioned that in my in my TED Talk as well. Uh, you know, HR function is just that a function, right? It's just like you have finance, you've got marketing, um, you've got procurement supply. So, you know, it, it's one of a function um, and it is to, you know, for, uh, you know. I think the, the the leaders that are effective is partnering with HR to really help help them scale and help them enable their culture. Not necessarily be the owners of the culture. Like leaders have to own and be accountable for how decisions are made. So, for example, you know, in the HR function, um, you know, recruitment is a typical um, activity within that function. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the recruiters and and you know, recruitment hire, help help hire and identify uh, talent, but at the same time, it's the leaders that make the final decisions on who gets hired. So if leaders are just, you know, for example, hiring people simply to meet revenue um, or simply to, 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 to meet a specific thing without looking at um, what does that person bring to the table as a whole? Is that person going to fit the entire culture and the shared vision that they, they you know, they, they set? Um that's where the problem starts to creep in because culture is one of those things, again, it's intangible, but it also is something that doesn't just change overnight, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. in, the, you know, the, the day-to-day decisions of leaders um, that really help drive, you know, how culture is shaped daily. But it, it's just over time, you know, continually to make, you know, different decisions that, that compromise uh, an initial culture is what can, you know, really can, you know, years later, you you know you look. I've heard people say that I looked up and I do not recognize my organization anymore, and that's a scary place for a leader to be. Um, but I think it's it's knowing that and and really having what I, I call kind of no compromise leadership in and how you make decisions, regardless if it's within HR or with finance or any other uh, function. Sorry, it's I went on a e- tangent there, but I I, thought, I just I I. I I feel very passionate about you sure um, do. <laughs> the fact that, you know, culture does make a difference. And it makes a difference in people's lives and, and also their, their health and well-being. Um, it's all an ecosystem, like you said in our is. opening comments. Christy, we're at a commercial break. When we come back, let's continue this discussion about culture, symptoms, perhaps some triggers, things that happen that cause sure. cultural shift within organizations. So for everyone listening, feel free to go to my website, transformationalenergyleadership.com. We will see you back here in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back from the break. I hope you enjoyed taking a look at my website. Now, today we're talking about culture and leadership, and I'm joined by Christy Lindor. She's an Amazon best-selling author and an expert in this very area. Now, Christy, before the break, we were talking about culture, and let's talk about cultural shifts within an organization. And what I mean by this, I, I remember... I don't know if it was in my doctoral work, but I also remember reading a book. I think it was by Gladwell, Max Gladwell, and he said organizations can be about a hundred, up to about 150 people. You can have the same culture exist, but once the the group exceeds that, you start getting to 160, 200 people, 250. That's when organizations also feel a shift. Have you observed this in the work that you do? Absolutely, and and I'm a I'm a huge fan of of Malcolm's work. I actually think that you know that number is a little smaller. I, you know, I think a I think a culture begins when you have you know more than three to four people working together over time. There's there tends to be a, a, a set of rules that that's set, and sometimes even if it's not been articulated, um, it's unwritten rules or unwritten or you know kind of code. Um, that's where the cultures begin, right? So, so yes, 160 may, you know, depending on the, how how strong their leadership um, is and and how flat the organization is when it comes to decision making or things of that sort. You know, there may be a broader, but when you think about a culture, you know, if you break that down, um, you know, there's a lot of subcultures underneath that that bubble up back up to that um, to the broader area. Uh, so, you know, I th- I think it, it it's it starts with you know just People around you, and one one test I always um, tell people when they're interested in, um, you know, how do they, you know, how do you figure out like what type of culture you are? I, you know, I say take a take a you know take a week and you know go around you know informally ask different people at various levels of the organization. What are you know when you think about our culture? What are the top three words that come to mind? You know, so ask someone that's at a senior level, ask someone that's at an entry level, 
ask someone that's, that's, you know, been there for, you know, year, you know, a lot of years, that's just joined, ask a lot of different people that question and, and compile the, you know, the, the three, you know, adjectives that each person provides you. And then take a sit back and look at that. Um, are, is everyone saying the same thing? Um, or are you noticing some discrepancies in, in how, you know, maybe one group of individuals consider the culture versus another? That's usually a really kind of a quick way to kind of get a handle on, on where you are um, and how others perceive, in, you know, the culture around you. And what I hear you saying is by having those engaging conversations with all all different roles within an organization, it helps give leadership a sense of a temperature of where things are in current state. And so my question for you is, what should transformational leaders do to build that optimal culture or even transform a culture if they're finding those adjectives are not matching what it is that they desire? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a there's a couple of couple things that they should definitely uh, take a look at. I think it I think with with specific, specifically with transformational leadership, it goes back to you know the vision, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, helping people see what is possible, and you know saying it in a way that it's clear, it's simple, and everyone gets it. Um, and so I think that's part of it. And, and, and the other aspect of that, I think it's also helping people feel included. And it, it sounds silly to some, but, you know, inclusion at all levels for all types of people is important. And I think where, you know, when, when leaders, especially transformational leaders, when they focus on that inclusion and they focus on the emotional labor it takes to create an inclusive culture, um, that's where you start to see that. And that it's a, it doesn't just, you know, okay, let's, you know, set up an action plan and, you know, check in and, you know, it doesn't have to be that structured. It can just be in simple day-to-day changes that doesn't cost money. You know, I think sometimes when people think about, okay, we have to transform our organization. They, you know, they think they have to put out, shell out thousands of dollars. It starts by just starting, you know, the leaders coming in and saying hello, having a conversation, um, remembering people's birthdays, you know, making sure that people are celebrated, making sure people feel included at the table, making no compromise leadership decisions on how you hire and being intentional about how you make decisions to reinforce the culture. Those are, that, those are, you know, to me, I think a lot of those are, are free, right? I think it's just ensuring that, you know, that's top of mind as part of a, you know, a, a, a leader's, um, you know, kind of priority. And one of the biggest things all of us humans hunger is information. And what you're saying, there's the inclusive inclusivity part. There's the conversations. Even I would imagine things like having monthly meetings, pulling everyone together or distributing some emails or just ways of constantly reminding people of what's going on in the organization is really helpful, really something important to do. Absolutely. And I'm also, you know, when we think about all of this, there was a part that you mentioned in our conversation. I don't know if it was here when we were talking, getting ready for the show, but you mentioned to me too that empathy is really a critical part for leadership. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, um, I, I like to use I, I use the word empathy, but I also use the word emotional labor. Um, emotional and, and empathy, leader. I think. It, I'm sorry. You said emotional leader. Oh, emotional labor. Oh, labor. Okay, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> because being empathetic is hard work. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, 
people don't realize the, the, the work it takes to really be very thoughtful and be very intentional of, you know, considering elements of how you make decisions and how they impact your people um, in the short term and the long term and how do you communicate that uh, and how do you show up and, and you convey that in your actions. That takes work. And sometimes it means making uh, unpopular decisions. Um, sometimes that means, um, you know, having to do the right thing, even though it may, you know, set you back, uh, you know, in terms of a financial revenue target for a particular month. Um, but it, I think it's, you know, it's, it's always living your values um, in a way that you bring everyone along towards the common vision. <clears throat> I think that's important. And I think leaders that get that, um, you know, sometimes, you know, they're not always, you know, it's, you know, it's not a popularity contest. It, you know, sometimes, you know, leaders that get that, they, they operate at a different level. And you can see it and you can feel it. Uh, and, and you can see it in, in the actions of their organization and the people around them because they, they empower, you know, um, those around them to do the same. So I, I, really, I really believe in the power of empathetic leadership, and, and I'm excited that we're now living in a time that, where that's embraced more. Um, I'm, so, I'm so encouraged about that, where it's about the purpose and mission um, and making people feel connected and part of a bigger movement. That's really kind of where um, leadership styles are headed these days, um, and, I, and I think it's just it's such a welcome change from, from past. I am with you. I, I appreciate how the conversations have shifted over the years about there is this real need for empathy. And for all the leaders out there listening to, it's, it's, if, if it's not your natural tendency to empathically connect with others emotionally, do the emotional labor, that's okay. Recognize that, but also find ways to help you navigate that, whether it be get some coaching on some techniques to do that, go through some training, different, do the reading. But there are ways, but the, the first step is to also put the, put your face, put the mirror in front of you and realize, okay, where are my strengths as a leader? Where are my areas I need to work on? And if the emotional labor part's just not there, to take the steps to do that. And I, uh, you know, to add, add to that, Matt, I, I completely agree um, that, it, you know, if that's, if that's definitely goal for a leader to bring that into their style and to, and to incorporate that, I, I, I love that approach. I think another approach that leaders should also consider is that you don't have to be everything to everyone. And that's okay, right? So accepting, right. you know, what your strengths are as a leader. And if, if empathy is just not in your DNA, right, there's tons of other things you can do. Find, you know, what, find a trusted colleague or, um, you know, hire someone that um, will, will, will be that voice and be that empathy to help you build that muscle um, or, and, and help you see things differently. So I think, I think what, you know, leaders to me, and I, I call, you know, transformational leaders, they accept what they're good at and they accept what they're not and they go out and find the people to, you know, to really help bring that element to their, their leadership team um, mm-hmm. and, and make sure that that's, in, you know, that's, that, that's brought in. And then, and then people see that. Sometimes another thing with, with leaders, I've seen amazing leaders doing really great things, but they're not sharing that outside of, you know, their kitchen cabinet. They're not sharing how they're feeling, what they're thinking. And there's this sense of, you know, I can't be vulnerable to my group. Um, or to people, and I think 
people are craving that. They're craving that authenticity. Um, and so I think sometimes, you know, doing things is one thing, but I think letting people know this is what you're doing and letting people know that, you know, this is where you're headed and, you know, it's not perfect, but you're, you know, you want everyone to rally around that. I think, you know, people crave that these days. So I think, you know, leaders just being comfortable in who they are and being comfortable in hiring the best talent and having the best people around them um, to, to, to supplement what they don't bring to the table. Excellent point. You're right. It's it's realizing those gaps. And you said a word vulnerability. And it's in those moments when we make ourselves vulnerable, when we, we become better, we become, we learn, we grow, it's uncomfortable. But that's where that's where the real growth happens in an organization. And like you said, everyone's watching and they appreciate the authenticity that you brought up just there. You know, before the break, I want to ask you, this is a, maybe a, it's a bigger question than what we have time for. But you have, I know you've likely worked with organizations that have gone through acquisitions and mergers. What, what recommendations do you have about culture when we're, you're putting two companies yeah, together? Oh my gosh. How much time we have, Matt? So, well, I, I just got a message. Um, we have a minute to break, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll give, I'll say one thing. One thing that I continue to see time and time in, in certain um, M&A transactions really compromising the culture due diligence element of it. I cannot stress that time and time again. Um, I think that is one of the big, biggest concerns. So, I, you know, you see a lot of efforts and focus around the core competencies and the advantages of the, of a, the synergy that, you know, uh, uh, an acquisition or a transaction will create. But what about the people? What about, um, you know, how are the cultures going to jive? What type of culture risk plan that you have in place to make sure, you know, that the cultures gel? And how do you integrate that back into a broader organization um, and so that they can, there can be that assimilation period? Um, that is so critical, and I, I see that miss, and I'm hopeful there will be more kind of focus on that with, um, with transactions. You're absolutely right, because at the core of it, we're talking about change, and humans simply, for the most part, don't like it. I, I myself went through an acquisition, and it was fascinating. It really was. I was in a living case study where I saw some people just go, oh, this is so exciting, to others who are frightfully scared for their lives. And it's, you're right. And at the core of any organization, it's, it really is the people that we need to be taken care of. And it goes back to that emotional labor. We'll say, hey, this is a good point. Let's stop right here. And we're, when we come back from the break, we're going to move into another space in the consulting world and talk more about culture there. So stay tuned. We'll see you back here in a couple... Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to tackle the rules of business? You may think you're doing everything by the book, following your own best practice beliefs, bringing in endless consultants, only to find that your business is not moving forward. That's where you need to stop and figure out where things are going wrong. Enter Business Rules with host Peter Feinstein. Peter and his guests will break it all down for you to help you and your business succeed. Listen Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you left the cage that held you back but find yourself in the wild of your life wondering, what do I do now? I'm Dr. Lisa Cooney, and today I'm going to give you the tools to answer that question. Regardless of the issue, your choices of the past no longer need to haunt you. 
You have the power to change that and to create from a space of fun and ease. How different can your life be? Find out. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And here we are. Today we're talking about culture and the responsibility of leaders and how they all fit together. And Christy, my, my guest today is Christy Lindor. Christy, I really want to bring this to closer to the worlds that you and I have operated in over the past several several years, and that's consulting. You recently published the Amazon bestseller, The Misi Muse, 100 Plus Selected Practices, Unwritten Rules, and Habits of Great Consultants. How did you prepare writing for this book? Uh I, you know, Matt, there, I actually didn't really have any um, fancy scientific method or anything <laughs> when I was, um, I, was, I was writing the book. It, it, you know, the book was something that has been on my heart for many years. <clears throat> you know, when I started consulting, uh, I came from the lens of being first-generation American, um, you know, the first in my family to go to, to, go to college, first-generation, like, corporate professional. Uh, and, you know, I entered a world where it is a very high-stakes, volatile, uh, and it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of insider, you know, dynamic, right? You either know what, you know, have, know kind of where to go get information and do things, or you don't, um, because in consulting, a lot of the younger um, practitioners that go into consulting, it's really more like an apprenticeship model, so you need, you know, you really need mentors to help you, uh, and and me coming in, you know, with the profile I had, I, I didn't, I didn't really find mentors, and I think I had a um, a different mental map of what a mentor was or who they were. Um, I was looking for someone that looked like an older version of myself, so to speak, and I never found that person. And I, and I realized that I really need to take accountability for my career and, you know, blow up my definition of, of what mentorship looked like. And that's when my career really began to shift and accelerate. And, and one of the, the ways, you know, given my background, I said I've always wanted to give back back to the profession, is to really be the mentor that I wish I had earlier in my career. And so I just started documenting, um, you know, experiences, knowledge, tips, best practices that I, that was handed to me over the years that I've shared with a lot of my mentees. And the book kind of evolved over years. It took about three years to write it. So I just, Matt, I just wrote. You know, I wrote every day um, just things that came to mind, and, and it became this body of knowledge, you know, that I now call the Misi Muse. The Misi Muse, mutually, mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. Is that what that stands for? Yeah, and, and the title, you know, it's a polarizing title, <laughs> uh-huh. I've found, um, because if you're, if you're in the world of management consulting, you love the title. Like, it makes sense. You get it. If you're not, you're like, that's title doesn't make sense. What does that word even mean? <laughs> and, I, you know, that was really my point, 
in that consulting is sometimes an elusive uh, profession. Again, you know, you're either in the know or you're not. And NACI is actually a guiding principle in management consulting. It's a technique on how people solve the root, pro- you know, the root uh, c- cause of a business problem. It's it's kind of a guiding principle in everything we do. And the fact that it was just it was such a, an unknown word or unknown term, I found fascinating. So I kind of I kind of use that as part of the title uh, to begin that conversation and to, and to allow anybody who wants to become a, a world-class great consultant for them to have the lens and insights and knowledge of what that means and what that looks like. And that's what caught my eye. I knew instantly what it meant. And I'm, oh boy, this is going to be a good book. Well, let's talk about, about culture. Now in the consulting industry, there's certainly an industry wide, probably a, a macro level culture. As you said, there's high stakes, there's, there's the apprenticeship model, if you will. And there's also within, of course, every organization, there's, it's got its own flavors and things like that. What I'm getting to here is when you were interacting and doing interviews, you were meeting with people, you were collecting your stories. What, when we think about leadership in this environment, what did your insights uncover about leaders who were successful? Right. What was interesting with the journey of the book, uh, and, you know, I went back around sharing, you know, my insights and, and best practices and things of that sort. If I actually use the Misi technique in, in, in kind of reverse engineering to really figure out how I was going to structure the book. And I realized, I said, yeah, I've had 15 years of experience, but wouldn't it be great if I can connect with partners, uh, consulting partners, um, and for, for listeners who don't know what a consulting partner is, uh, that's usually an individual that's really like, you know, at the upper echelon of the consulting field. Um, so, you know, you kind of go from an analyst, an intern, and then you kind of progress up through the ranks and become a partner. Um, so that's the pinnacle um, of a consulting career. And so I thought, I thought, let me go around and ask partners what makes a great consultant. And so that led me on a path of speaking to over 50 consulting partners across 27 different professional organizations, and they all shared their stories. And in that journey, Matt, I actually learned a lot because, you know, I realized that I had a very um, kind of more molded mental map of what great consultants is based on my personal experience. And what the insights that they shared that was surprising to me um, and surprising to many people that I've spoken to about the book is the diversity of the, the, the experiences that these partners had. So most partners that I ended up speaking with had, you know, amazing mobility within their career. And when I say mobility, meaning they did not just stay and, and you know, come into, into consulting at like an associate level and work their way up. A majority of them, more than 50% of them, actually came in, they left consulting, they may have gone to business school, some of them started, you know, started a company, some of them actually, you know, worked for the government or, ran, or you know, was an elected official, and then they came back. And they brought all of that industry expertise and knowledge back into their, their consulting career, which didn't help them accelerate. That was a, like, for me, that was like a light bulb moment um, where it, it, you know, made me realize how agile um, of a path uh, consulting is. And I, I, I'm sure it, it would probably empower a lot of people to know you can kind of go back and forth where a lot of other t- traditional career paths, you kind of, you know, you go, you kind of progress up in linear fashion with um, with consultants, 
you can really have a portfolio career where you can kind of leapfrog and, and kind of go to different um, areas and then come back to it and bring that expertise to your clients. So to me, um, that was really one of the most insightful things was that it, it wasn't just, you know, just staying and becoming a consultant. It was, you know, really becoming a better business person um, through various experiences. The business had business savviness of it and it's interesting to share that story about leaving and then coming back it very much mirrors what we're seeing with millennials and the and the gen z's coming into the workforce is that yeah the predict right i mean there's the predictions are what a, a millennial will have 15 different jobs through the course of the career if 15 it could be more it seems like and so right, it sounds right. like it, it's nice that that parallels because I, you know, I, I don't know if you recall back in the day, Matt, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, older like myself, it was, it was seen as taboo to move around. You know, you kind of chose a, you know, a place and if the environment worked for you, you stuck with it and you just stay there and you progress up. And now it's, it's definitely more acceptable. And I thought what was really fascinating is that most of the um, people, at least the folks that I, I encountered through my research, did just that throughout their career, um, and that's what's really helped catapult them to create that breadth and depth of experience where they can become a trusted advisor to to the world's top CEOs. Um, so to me, that was just that was just a fascinating journey, um, and, and I'm glad that now it's it's you know it's being celebrated. Yes, and I'm also wondering, in the interviews, the conversations that you had, what else came up in terms of connecting with people. Yeah. And how and making that connection back to culture. So, so you know, it, it's funny. When I was writing the book, Matt, um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure my book stood out specifically, I, I read a lot of, you know, over the years as a consultant, I've read a lot of books about consulting, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the books, I'd say 95% of them, um, they really focused on the technical aspects of the profession. So they focused on, okay, how do you build a book of business? How do you um, create industry expertise? How do you kind of, you know, create the technical wherewithal to deliver um, projects and engagements? They really focus on, you know, kind of the, the analytical, quantitative aspects of the job. Mm-hmm. Most of them never covered anything about people. Um, and I said, you know, for me, I, I was very intentional. And let me talk about great consultants because what I found out, again, through the research for the MEC News, Great consultants aren't just the people that are super smart, right? They're the people that, you know, they bring that technical expertise and they bring that knowledge, yes. But on top of that, they bring the people aspect of it. They bring that empathy. They bring that emotional labor. They bring that connection with individuals where that's, that's really what elevates a good consultant from a great consultant is being able to, to have those connections. Think simple things. Again, let's go back to, um, you know, we're talking about transform, transformational leadership and, and, you know, connecting with people. Great consultants are the same in, in that things like, things like common courtesy, like it sounds simple, but it's going back to those kind of basic core values. Um, that really, you know, distinguishes, um, you know, kind of the good from the great. And I really focus my book on that. Like, how do you create those daily, you know, daily, you know, in and out habits um, and and have the mindset where that's just, that just becomes part of your DNA, right? You know, it goes from 
okay, I have to try to pretend and, and, um, you know, remember to say thank you to like, thank you. It's just, it's just part of what I do. Right. Um, mm-hmm. how do you kind of elevate from one level of competency to another? And so that's what my book is really about. It's really about the people aspect of it. Um, and making sure, you know, that, that is, is front and center above, above, um, you know, the, the delivery and the, the expertise. And for leaders, it's so important out of everything that you said there, too, is going back to your core, know what your values are, have that be really have a a strong sense of who you are. And as you think about influencing culture itself, that's where it all begins. And it goes right back to the title, Leaders as Regulators of Culture. Absolutely. Uh, were there any surprises when you're having these conversations with these highly successful leaders? Any surprises besides the moving out of an organization and coming back? You know, I think what was also surprising, uh, at least for me as a as a female in consulting, was how much uh, you know the leaders that I spoke with, how much they really prioritized their personal and family life. Uh, as, mm. as, and I'm sure, as you know, Matt, you know, consulting can sometimes feel like an all-consuming profession. Um, it's very demanding. You know, you spend a lot of time on the road traveling, you know, working 60-plus hours a week, um, having very a very volatile schedule, right? Um, and so that type of kind of schedule, it, it leads or, you know, it really kind of creates the impression that work comes first, everything comes second. And what I found with, you know, the leaders, many of, you know, all you know, almost all of them were married. Um, you know, I'd say more than half of them had children, not just one child, children. And that was, for, that was like front and center in all the conversations I had. And what was also interesting is that many of the leaders I spoke with just throughout conversations, um, they actually, uh, they actually would, um, they would, they would perceive other consultants based on how they prioritize their life, their family life, whether they, they say that to that consultant or not. That is part of what they look at when they are, you know, looking to build their team and looking to build up their leaders. So, you know, I found that interesting as well, um, that they wanted to make sure, like, the leaders around them were taking care of their family because in their minds they're saying, okay, if you can't take care of your family, how can you really take care of your client? So I thought, so I thought that was really fascinating, and it's just something that, doesn't really come up that often, um, but it's it's in you know in you know I call the the great consultant realm. It's definitely um, front and center. You're right. I love that. If you can't take care of your family, this reminds me also when I'm when I'm coaching clients and I'll say, okay, what are your priorities? Or where what are you doing now? What's important? And you'll often hear the list, or they'll tell you what's on their list, and then I'll ask the question. So where do you fit into that? Where, where are you a priority? So taking care of self, taking care of family, it's all, it all interleaks together, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it it really is. Yeah. And impacts how we show up at work and then it just feeds and how we interact with others. Well, here we are, we're at a break again. And what I'd like to do when we come back is do a a recap and let's think about or, or harness what are the main things we should be thinking about when we think about this thing of culture and leadership. So stay tuned. We'll be back here in about two minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Many of us define our lives by what has already happened. It's a past tense series of events. Do you long for something else? You don't have to live solely in this reality. Tune in for To Win Within with host Strom Thomason. Strom and his guests are here to introduce you to your true self. It's time to emerge from your box and take a beautiful journey of self-love and discovery. You'll find yourself exactly where you need to be. To Win Within airs live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the show. Now, today's conversation is about culture and leadership, and Christy has been with me over the past hour. And before we wrap things up, I'd like to ask you one other thing, Christy, and that is when you think about leaders who are successful, what, what did you know about their, what did you notice about their energy? I would say with, with leadership and, and energy, it's one, being aware of how you know, your energy, you know, feels and, and how it's, how you're showing up. I think sometimes, <clears throat> again, energy is one of those intangible, some people call it soft, fuzzy. It's just not something you, you know, focus on. But I think energy says everything. You can say the same message, um, but <clears throat> depending on how you convey it and in what state of mind you are physiologically, um, it may come off different. So I think it's being aware of your energy, and being aware of the type of energy you want to, you know, to create within your environment. Um, I think that's, that's just so important um, for, for people to, to consider um, because it really, I think it really fits into when you think about, like, emotional labor and we think about the, you know, empathetic leadership. Energy really, you know, helps, helps really kind of enable all of that to happen. It sure does. Like energy tracks are like energy, and there's good energy, and there's negative energy. Well, let's bring this to a close. So we've talked about culture. We've talked about leadership. We narrowed it down a bit to the, our world of consulting. What would you say are the three or four things that we should take away from the conversation today? A couple things, I would say. So one, um, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. Uh, so Seth Godin has a saying, you know, do, do the hard work first. Um, it's one of his staple things. And, and I think, you know, if I was to add to that, you know, do the hard work first of emotional labor um, and ensuring that that is front and center when you're thinking about how you convey your shared vision uh, to, your, to your people and also making sure that you institute, you know, what I call like a no-compromise leadership, making decisions that really help you win in the long run and not just solely focused on the short term. So that's, that's one thing. I would say a second thing, you know, leaders can definitely look to do is 
if you want to create, if you want to, you know, create or transform your culture, start today. Start right now. Start in the actions, and 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 it's, it's day by day little actions that are you know accumulated to really start to make a shift. Um, it takes you know just like it you know it takes a while uh, to create a culture. It also takes a while to un, you know for cultures to unlearn and to transform. You know, to, to really kind of focusing on that and creating an environment where it's safe for people to fail um, or creating an environment where you help people cultivate um, their passions. Research has shown um, that, that people, you know, organizations where innovation or creativity or the ability to have entrepreneurial pursuits actually raises productivity five times. So, you know, I think when most people think about corporate organizations, they think, you know, people want to have control and it's okay, I want to control their schedule, I want to control, you know, how many hours they work, how many years it takes to progress to a different level. That's not the case anymore. You know, it's companies that let go, companies that let people thrive, let them have flexibility in their in their work, let them be empowered to make their own, you know, autonomous decisions. Those are the environments where people are winning. And, and leaders being able to just let go and, and, you know, make sure they put out the vision and they create that set of rules and they enforce that and letting people, you know, have at it. Those are the environments that are thriving. And it takes nothing, you know, to start that mindset shift. And the right. third thing I will say um, is anyone can become a great consultant. So sometimes we hear, okay, I have to work for these types of clients or I have to have, you know, went to this school or work for this firm. That is not the case. A great consultant is made through day-to-day habits and mindset. So that's, that's what I have for you, Matt. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. Do the hard work. No compromise leadership. Start today. So after you, we all get off the, the show today, go out and start acting. And and, and what you also saw, said, and I love it, the organizations who are thriving are the ones who allow people to fail and experiment. And that's where the creativity really starts to come to the fore. And then anyone can be a great consultant. It takes labor. Labor of emotional labor. So Christy, thanks so much for being on the show today. And for all the listeners out there, how if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Three ways. Uh, uh, first, social media. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's, I'm, I'm a huge person on LinkedIn. You can go to Christy Lindor and connect, connect or follow with me. The second, you can also go to my website. You can go to ChristyLindor.com. So that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, Lindor. L-I-N-D-O-R.com. Or if you want to check out my TED Talk, um, I actually uh, have a website with the full transcription. I've had people asking me about just the language of it. So you can go to watchmytedxtalk.com for, for more information. Fantastic. It's been wonderful having you on the show. And thank you for your sharing your expertise and insights today, Christy. And for everyone out there, if you have a topic you want covered or if there's someone that you would love to have on the show and, and hear some dialogue about transformational energy leadership, Feel free, send them to me. You can email me. You can get on my website. You can go to voiceamerica.com and find me there. So until then, until next time, harness your positive energy and lead that transformation. We'll talk with you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.